Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 38. Thank you for joining us today and here on our newest platform to bring in uh, 2013. So we hope you enjoy this new transition that we're making. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Greetings, uh, Christina. How are you? Very well, very well, thank you. Now that with the rain has just cleaned up our whole city <laughs> and coastline. <laughs> yeah, all our plants are smiling and happy. And so are we. Yeah. I'd like to uh, take this moment to uh, greet everyone that's watching, all of our viewers. And in, I guess I could in- greet the viewers that will be watching this at a later point also. So uh, welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your uh, co-host with Christina as we travel each week through the healthcare galaxy, searching for ways towards optimal health. Mm-hmm. That's fun, isn't it? Oh, yes. You think we'll ever find it? Yes. Has become closer and closer and closer. Yes, I, I do. <laughs> I think we. I think we will. Sometimes it feels like the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, uh, a lot of times people have said to me after the show, and, and at other times they say, "Ah, oh, you're a medical guide. Uh, I, I like that. What is it?" Mm. And uh, so I was thinking I would take a little opportunity today to talk about being a medical guide. And then a few of the things that I do as a medical guide, uh, if that's okay with you. Oh, absolutely. I think that's great because we do need to remind everybody, me included, you know, you do so many things. That's true. It's so many things. Uh, yeah. And that's the cool part about it. And it's it's growing. When I decided to do this, it was at a time, you know, there, there are no actual medical guides that I know of yet. There are people doing medical guiding and all people that are healers of some kind mm-hmm. do some medical guiding, but my whole specific process is about medical guiding. And mm-hmm. uh, it starts from the point of having life, you know, creating life. Sometimes I help people to get through a pregnancy or to become pregnant. And then uh, once life is created, then I also uh, have the ability uh, to work with people throughout their lives, uh, either while they're healthy, remaining healthy, or uh, obtaining good health or optimal health, maintaining it, or regaining it. And then I also work with people if they get sick, uh, try to get through a sickness, or if they are not going to get through it, dealing with it. And also, I work with people towards optimal health when they are pretty healthy. And clearly, I also work with people when they're dying and transitioning out of this body. But the part that uh, I wanted to focus a little more on today was the part about helping people gain optimal health. Mm. And we talk about that a lot. And if people you know, want to call in today, it's kind of a free-for-all day a little bit. If people have some thoughts or questions on anything and they call in, we can uh, try and work that into a little bit of what we're dealing with today to maybe give an example of what I do as a medical guide. But in terms of optimal health, I've talked about this before, that I look at a number of categories for people. I look at uh, nutrition, exercise, stress management, sleep management, spirituality, and patterns of behavior. A few weeks ago on one of our shows, we talked about spirituality, and I'd like to take an opportunity every once in a while to talk about each of the different aspects of what I do in terms of those areas. Uh, Certainly, we'll have guests on in each of those areas, too. We've had specialists in sleep and stress management, and Mm -hmm. we'll have nutrition, nutrition, and we will have exercise and a number of other things, but I thought for a few moments I would talk about patterns of behavior. And one of the reasons that I uh, think this is a specific area that does need to be addressed for everybody, and I'd like to present my case now <laughs> as to, as to why I believe it and, and see if at the end of today's show I've, we've figured out 
that you agree with me uh, or some other people agree with me. <clears throat> Patterns of behavior. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. As a species, and almost every species, has patterns within their physiology. Uh, a woman goes through patterns of a menstrual cycle in order to become pregnant and to procreate and to sustain our species. So that's part of the cycle. Uh, and if, if you're not in that cycle, if you're not in that pattern, then the pregnancy may not take effect. Once the pregnancy takes effects, uh, the body starts growing, the uh, embryo starts growing, and different things start happening so that this little body that comes out when it takes its first breath uh, is already prepared. And that means all sorts of systems have to happen within the body. So the brain stem and the nervous system are starting to develop, and all of the systems, the cardiovascular, the gastrointestinal system, the musculoskeletal system, all of these mm -hmm. things are developing. Within about four weeks of uh, the embryo starting to develop, you can actually see the beginnings of a primitive heartbeat, four to six weeks. And a heartbeat is an example of a pattern. When we're a certain age, uh, our heart beats a certain time, amount of times per minute. Most, For most normal adults, it, the pattern is somewhere between 60 and 100 beats. And uh, it changes. If it goes into an abnormal rhythm, then uh, we have to deal with that medically. And that's one of the areas in the emergency department I always had to deal with, where the heart stopped its normal pattern. There are also many other physiological patterns. Breathing is a pattern. You know, we breathe in about 16 to 20 times a minute when things are normal, maybe a little less when we're sleeping or relaxed or meditating. And a lot more when we're running in a marathon. Uh, there are waking and sleeping patterns. There's pH and acidity patterns. There's temperature patterns. If you take temperature of a child in the morning, it's different than in the afternoon or at night, uh, which is important when you're trying to determine if a child is sick or you're sick or something like that. So we have a lot of physiological patterns. Mm -hmm. And it appears that most of these patterns occur on a subconscious level, they occur deep in the primitive brain, almost in the brain stem, not in the higher portions of the brain where we discuss philosophy, but in the deeper portions. Because mm -hmm. if you could imagine, let's say I said, okay, Christina, uh, for the next hour, you have to control your heartbeat and be aware of every beat and think about it. And at the same time, you also have to breathe. And it's also at the same time, <laughs> you have to make yourself a sandwich and eat it and digest it. And breathing all in that certain rhythm, right? <laughs> and breathing in that rhythm. It would be impossible for us. So the brain, in its own wisdom, and our species and most species, um, have this in the autonomic nervous system or kind of the subconscious automatic nervous system. Now, we can get into another discussion about breathing because it's one of the few things we can actually tap into uh, in our primitive brain, which is uh, one of the reasons probably that in meditation techniques, breathing is such an important part uh, that we can connect. But that's, that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we ha these are physiological patterns. And, and what it shows us is that the brain feels that it can do a better job than we can. Just like I said to you a minute ago, okay, you're in charge of your own heart rate. Uh, so the brain takes over and does these things. Well, when we're born, and probably even earlier for certain things, we start developing other types of patterns, not the physiological patterns, but patterns of behavior. And the reasons we develop patterns of behavior is basically for survival, uh, to know ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to deal with ourselves, to know and deal with other people, and to, and to survive. Sometimes someone in a very challenging household develops patterns of behavior to survive that are not necessarily great patterns. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Many of the patterns we learn are great patterns and they help us survive. You know, when your parents teach you to look both ways when you come to a street corner, 
that's a very good pattern of behavior that we learn and continue throughout our lives. And it serves us well, especially if we go to a country where they're driving on the wrong side of the road. Or I guess I should say opposite. Side of the road. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah. Um, or on no side of the road, or there may not even be a road. There may not be. I- <laughs> uh, or it may be an elephant that you're riding on instead of driving. Camels, so, yes. <laughs> right. All of these things are possible. But we learn patterns of behavior. And again, we learn patterns very early on. We're, we watch our parents, we watch our other adults, and we emulate them. And we keep those patterns, many of those patterns, and we uh, keep them throughout our life. Some of them good, some of them not so good. And this is an area that I look at, which is very important, because again, we seem to find that patterns of behavior also become subconscious, where the mind feels or the brain feels it can do a better job than we can. So it tries to take away all of these tasks from us, uh, and we just do things on a subconscious level. Uh, getting out of bed, we, most, we get out of bed the same way every day most of the time. You wash your face, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, you take a bath, you put on your clothing, put on makeup, start a car. All of these things become patterns of behavior that we don't even think about during the day most of the time, which is fine. You know, it serves our purpose so that we can be getting dressed and not having to think, do I always put my left leg in first or do I tie my right shoe first? Or (laughs) if we had to do that, we wouldn't be able to worry about all the anxious things that we have to do during the day. (laughs) So this gives us the opportunity to put our brain into thinking about other things because we mind mindlessly uh, are able to do certain patterns of behavior. And we also, uh, when we talk about mindfulness, this is another process that takes those things that we do mindlessly and bring them into process. So when I work with people to try and achieve optimal health, the reason that I feel that patterns of behavior is a certain important aspect is one, that we are about patterns of behavior, but two, that in order to work on all of the other aspects like sleep, changing sleep uh, or nutrition or exercise, it's the patterns of behavior that we have within each of those processes that uh, determine how we deal with them. So if I recognize in someone that they have a pattern of behavior that's causing their illnesses or that's not attributing to their optimal health, then that's a process that we have to go through. Mm. So do you, for example, believe in patterns of behavior? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. I mean, well, especially the ones you said that we're born with, those patterns of the the behavioral part, it's almost, um, to me, it's almost like a way of uh, survival. Of course it is. Right? that's, That's right. It's about survival for yourself and survival with other people, and then survival in general. That's exactly what it is. We learn these patterns to survive. But unfortunately, uh, as we go through life, certain things happen that influence our patterns, or we get stuck in patterns that we don't believe we can change. And uh, changing those patterns is an important part of the process. So when I work with people, one of the areas and aspects that I work with is to figure out that first, are you aware that you have patterns of behavior? And we go through a little bit of testing on that. And once they usually and finally agree that there are patterns of behavior, then we start <clears throat> looking at aspects of the of their life that are good patterns. And we look at aspects that are uh, patterns that are neutral, no big deal. And we look at patterns that might not be helping the process. So after we determine that people have patterns, the first step is to actually recognize that a person has patterns. And once they agree to that, then the second step becomes about, do you want to change your pattern? You have to make a choice here. Now that, that seems really interesting. You know, how you have said this, Glenn, are you, with in your experience, are you saying that there are 
individuals that don't realize that they live by patterns? They, they probably are just not thinking about it. They do realize it on certain levels, but they can also compartmentalize. They may know that they brush their teeth the same way, but the, the woman that has been married three times and each time it's been to an alcoholic, abusive uh, man uh, that they've gotten divorced to, they don't recognize that necessarily as a pattern. Mm, that's interesting. So the, our consciousness and our uh, subconsciousness and deeper consciousness sometimes hide things from us because they like the patterns or they're, it's easier for the pattern than to change the pattern. Once we have a pattern, the brain gets into that pattern and it doesn't necessarily matter that it's good for you or bad for you. Mm. That's the pattern, and it likes to stay like that. So when the brain starts getting information saying we want to change a pattern, it does a lot of things to uh, potentially prevent that. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Part work that has to be done. Right. Right. It's uh, like a, to shift. Making that shift is a difficult one, or it seems to be. It is a difficult it's, one. Uh, even the simplest of things mm-hmm. can be difficult. But if it's if it's affecting one's health, and remember, that's why we're talking about this for mm-hmm. optimal. Uh, this is one of the aspects that I talk about that. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you put your left shoe on first or your right shoe on first, necessarily. <laughs> but it does if you're putting it on your head. <laughs> Decide as a pattern of behavior not to brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you put the toothpaste on from the top to the bottom or the bottom to the top, or you squeeze the <laughs> toothpaste from the bottom or squeeze it everywhere and don't worry about it. And it doesn't matter if you start in your left back, upper, posterior molar or your <laughs> anterior inside, medial incisor. Uh, those things may not matter, but it may matter if you don't brush your teeth at all. Mm-hmm. That may have to do with optimal health, and we'll learn that. Uh, when I interview one of our uh, professional dentists or uh, someone in the area of uh, dentistry. Mm-hmm. That's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Learn a lot the, the teeth. But those are, everything we do has to do with patterns, including social patterns, you know, of how we socialize and how we date and who we're looking mm-hmm. for. And the Men- pods that we that's something I, I realized and have really noticed with some of my clients. Um, it's uh, the the type or the type of uh, people that they have socialized with and created the pods with, and it's that is also very difficult to shift as that pattern of behavior, right? It is because. Uh some of the times you will create the pod that serves some of the patterns of behavior that, that you have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. your courage to have those patterns. And if it's not a great pattern, if, if a pattern, for example, is to be addicted to heroin, right. Uh, you're probably going to be around heroin addicts rather than Nobel prize winners. Most of the time, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Nobel prize winners may try to convince you not to, continue that pattern so sometimes we we choose people to be around that uh give us good feedback or or allegedly good feedback on our patterns and encourage those kind of patterns so that yes you're right when sometimes you can be around people that are not encouraging your optimal health so you have to make big shifts yeah that's that's very true so after the first uh, area of awareness then it becomes uh, a wreck, the recognition. Then you. <laughs> I thought, oh, a wreck. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to make a decision or a choice as to whether or not you want to change that pattern of behavior because you recognize it. And this is uh, one of the more difficult steps. You know, becoming aware that there's a pattern is not too hard to work with a person. But making a choice not to, especially if it's something that's helped you survive your whole life, you feel pretty comfortable with it. And it doesn't appear to you that it's uh, something deleterious to you. And it may not be that bad. You know, Mm -hmm. there are, we all have a few patterns that 
are kind of uh, not always perfect for optimal health, but they make us happy. And so we continue those. And it's just the, the judgments about which one we take and which one we have to let go. Mm-hmm. So after we make that judgment, first we have the awareness, then we choose to um, change it. Then comes the part of having to figure out how to change a pattern of behavior. And the way that you change it is that you have to figure out a new pattern. So you start thinking of ways that can uh, satisfy certain needs and get rid of some of the reasons that you don't want to change it and why your brain is fighting it. Mm -hmm. And that's some, uh, that becomes a, a lot of the work that I do with people because it's, it, again, changing a pattern of behavior about nutrition or changing a pattern of behavior about exercise or changing a pattern of behavior about sleep. All of these things require changing patterns of behavior to get towards optimal health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That pattern isn't easy. Mm-hmm. So the look at, we have to make choices of a new pattern that will satisfy us and become our, our pattern, you know, the, the new pattern. So there I go. And it it takes time too. It's, it's almost like a, um, it's almost like when when you're, that awareness is like sowing the seed and then you have to sort of nurture it and fertilize it until it grows. Right. And it becomes sort of like within your new habits and your new behaviors. Becomes your pattern. Mm Mm-hmm. And many people don't want to let go of these. And this is where it's interesting where I talk to people. And nowadays, it's uh, depending on who I'm speaking with. If I'm speaking with a younger person, they understand this more. But I can say to them that the brain and the central nervous system is your hardware. That's your hard drive. Mm. Pattern of behavior that you're exhibiting is a software pattern. <laughs> that might have come into play uh, at a very early age when you needed to survive. For example, if, if two parents are breaking up and there's lots of conflict in the house and the child who has no understanding of what the conflict really is about just gets an understanding that there's discomfort, they may develop patterns of behavior that allow them to survive with both parents. And because those patterns of behavior get reinforced because they continue to survive, they keep them. So when they become an adult and those patterns now are causing all sorts of internal conflict because they're manifesting in other ways when it's time for them to find uh, the right mate, uh, these patterns come into play and they don't see them necessarily as patterns. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes they even see them but can't deal with them or believe that uh, they're so deep. It's just me. There's nothing I can do about it. This mm-hmm. is have to be. And this is where we talk about the possibility that it's software. It's software. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> upgrade your version. <laughs> now next you be going, you know, the 3.0. <laughs> That's right. 5.0. There you go. Uh, not only can you, uh, sometimes, change them or upgrade them. You can also delete older patterns. Mm-hmm. If you, um, and now certainly let's not make this so totally simplistic. There are many people that have very critical patterns uh, for reasons of survival or whatever that are so deep that you can't just change it by saying, oh yes, I think I'll brush my teeth differently now. Uh, sometimes people need help uh, mm-hmm. from counselors and uh, healers of different types, and people may even need uh, medications or different types of treatments for things, depending on how deep and and how harmful the pattern is. But that's that's where the choices have to be made. You have to choose whether your life is worth it or not worth it, or whether you want to take the responsibility or one does not want to take the responsibility. And then we go from there. And also, um, you know, when you go back to those social pods that we have created and, or the people who are familiar with us, 
I, I also very find it very difficult for people to take those shifts because you have the individuals around saying, that's who you are. That is your habit. Or, oh, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, <laughs> all those comments. Right. And those are patterns of behavior. Yes. Patterns that uh, the other person learns. Mm -hmm. So we're all, we're all about patterns. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, <clears throat> and, it's, and it's really a, a major key in the whole process here of healing sometimes. Uh, so where are we? We have the awareness. We have the choices uh, or the decision to change. And then we go through choices or, or picking a new pattern. And that becomes very interesting for me as a medical guide because it's not me and it's not my pattern that mm -hmm. has changed. So when I work with people as a medical guide, we may go through many choices of different patterns. I, I will suggest some and have the client suggest some. And we talk about all of them and we think about lots of different patterns. We leave it very open. Because it's going to require a change and it's going to be something that the person is then going to do, hopefully, from then on. And so once we figure out, okay, this is a good pattern, we like this one and we're going to change our old pattern, then it, the next step is implementing it. Mm. And there's a whole set of things that have to be done for each person. And again, a lot of this is really based on the person themselves. And this is, again, where as a medical guide, things are different for me than they were in the emergency department where I used to work. When I worked in the emergency department, whoever came in, I took care of mm -hmm. and I, with them. And then they went on their way or they did not make it, depending on what they came in with is how they left. Um, and they didn't have to take too much responsibility in that moment. If I had somebody with a dislocated shoulder, I could put that shoulder back in. Whether they, you know, felt comfortable with it, didn't feel comfortable with it, were scared of it, were afraid that I was going to hurt them, I could do enough things to put that shoulder back in without too much of their cooperation. Although cooperation always makes life easier. But as an as a medical guide. If I find that someone has a, a pattern that is not good, for example, eating, say, too much refined sugar, at some point, uh, once we determine that that's a pattern and we're trying to deal with their diabetes and their obesity and their inflammatory uh, arthritis and a number of other things, once we recognize it, we have to change it. It becomes something that they have to do. I can tell it to them, I could bring it to their attention and we can come up with the solution. But at the end of the day, I'm not at their house mm -hmm. and I'm not getting rid of the refined sugar and I'm not stopping them from eating it. So at some point they have to make that decision. And when one makes that decision, difficult at the beginning, but usually because it's something that you're improving, you start seeing improvements, start seeing improvements in your own health. And that's, that's really the key to um, reaching optimal health is going in increments and seeing that here's a benefit. So, uh, for example, I always talk about in eating, if, if we're trying to get someone to eat well, you can't take someone that never ate well and then start them eating 100% well. And I look for an 8% rule and I say start with 80%, you know, start eating more healthy foods in, in healthier manners. And don't worry about the other 20%. Stay with whatever you're doing. And when they do that, um, they, they can then start seeing results. So, well, you know, that stomach ache that I always used to get after eating isn't as much anymore. I go, hmm, how interesting. I wonder why. So then I say, well, you know, maybe it seems like it's pretty easy and you're feeling better. Why don't we think about 85%? better and then 15 and then eventually they catch on and they see and maybe they'll go to 90 or 95 you don't always have to get to 100 percent, and not many people can 
But uh, again, getting closer and closer towards optimal health is is a great way to do that. So we we figure out these patterns and recognize them and come up with a choice and then implement it and figure out the right ways to implement it. And then once we implement it, the hardest thing that happens then is to maintain it. And that's you brought that up a little while ago. And one of the things that we see is people gradually float back into their old mm. path without even realizing it. So the the final part of what I have to do in this whole process is to make sure that we have a way of following up and checking in with ourselves and saying, you know, that pattern that we changed, it seems like we're out of it again and we're back into our old pattern. So it's very important not to just be aware, make decisions, make choices, choose a new pattern and implement it. You also have to make sure that you're continuing that pattern because you can go into it. And I have and I have a test for people that I usually do just to show how important patterns are and how the whole process is and how sometimes it's difficult, even on a simple basis. I usually take something with a person and and tell them to find a pattern. Sometimes I use brushing your teeth. Sometimes I use showering. Uh, but it's something that you do every day. So, for example, if you uh, shampoo your hair in a shower and you always shampoo it at the very beginning or you shampoo it at the end of your shower, that's a pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not necessarily a significant pattern whether you do it at the beginning or you do it at the end. It's not that critical. It's just that you do it. So what I would say to people is, okay, take that pattern and change it. From now on, if you shampoo your hair always at the end of your shower, you wash yourself and soap yourself and clean yourself first, and then you do your shampooing, try and do it at the beginning. And just make that a change in behavior. And and even almost inevitably, even the very first time I tell them to do that, after my session with them, I will speak with them the next day and they'll go home and say, oh, you know, I thought about it all day long. And then once I got into the shower, I started thinking about other things and suddenly <laughs> realized I did my old pattern. I totally forgot about it. And I said, yes, I understand that. And that's a pattern of behavior. <laughs> well, I, I, I can say that if one has a child... <laughs> You change your patterns very quickly <laughs> and continuously month after month. <laughs> uh, about your own patterns or patterns of how you deal with your child or your, your child? Your own patterns. You almost have to change your own patterns to adapt. Give me an example. Uh, uh, the example would be something as simple as how you run your day, like you know, if you didn't have a child, you would wake up, you would do your, you know, whether you go wash your face, brush your teeth, or have your breakfast, a cup of coffee. You know, the minute you have a child, that all changes. You might do that, but it might not be in that order anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you think of a baby, you know, their patterns change and fluctuate week by week, you know, for that first whole year. There is no <laughs> one moment you're getting five hours of sleep, the next moment you're getting six. The next moment, you know, they're waking up at, at, at a time of day or night that you never would have thought of or decided to take a nap at a certain time. And what you thought that, you know, you would con- consistently do, you, you're not doing anymore. It's interesting that you bring that up. As you were saying that, it's clearly it's correct. I wonder, and this is kind of a rhetorical question, but parents that are bringing their children up are exhibiting patterns of behavior and mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see how much of an awareness that the parent has that this is a pattern that I'm teaching my child uh the way that the family meets at the at the breakfast table or at the dinner table and the way the two parents have a discussion when the mm-hmm. child that discussion the way that the parents talk if one listens while the other speaks or they both interrupt or they argue then you will probably see that type of a pattern 
developing in the child. So it's very interesting to uh, work. Sometimes if I'm working with the child of a parent, sometimes I have to work with the parents also because uh, it, you know, the patterns are coming from them and we have to figure out these things. So it's very uh, important for parents, if you're choosing to become parents, to realize that all the things that you do that you think that your child isn't watching and learning while they're at their most sponge-like time in life and everything is coming into them, although as they assimilate it, they're not necessarily understanding. They're just assimilating certain things and they may not be coming up with the correct facts, but they are coming up with patterns. And so it's very important to uh, become aware that you're teaching your child patterns. And if you see your child doing something wrong, your first thing is you want to go, what's wrong with my child? Why are they doing this wrong? Rather than saying, hmm, I wonder if there's something in me that has helped them to promote this. <laughs> uh, I love that, Glenn, because it's, I always tell parents, they are our mirrors. They truly are our mirrors and the mirrors of the world because, as you say, they assimilate things so quickly. And I, I remember the times where there's a fear of, oh my goodness, where did that come from? Okay, do I do it? You know, does, you know, does his father do it? Who around us does that? And if I go through everyone, no, let's see where else it could be coming from. And, you know, and sometimes if it's not around that often, it's just for the spur of the moment, you know, like maybe a couple of days and then it goes away. But, but it's true. You're absolutely right. It's it, they they continue our patterns of behavior, you know. Um, and whoever is around them is great major influences on on <laughs> on what they choose to do <laughs> and when to do it. <laughs> and this, uh, this is why we have psychologists and psychiatrists and behavioral analysts and sociologists, is because throughout our history as a species as we've come into communities we've developed some of these patterns that uh cause issues and uh, those issues uh are things sometimes that can be recognized and changed not all of them and not all of them without a lot of uh personal work and a lot of work uh with help mm. And I think also it's very important uh, to realize that, for example, let's say you're in a family of three children and uh, two adults, and one of the children has a, a diabetic problem. So they need to eat carefully and more appropriately. Not that we all shouldn't, but... Uh, it's more specific and more obvious that things can go wrong for someone eating inappropriately. So w when you spoke before about the pods, we choose certain pods, but sometimes a family is not really a chosen pod. That's the, the group that you hang out with, maybe your chosen pod, but the family is a different type of pod. And it becomes important to have encouragement from the family. If the other kids are sitting around eating candy bars all day long, in front of the diabetic child, it's going to be a lot more difficult for that child to develop a healthy pattern of behavior. And so it's very important that as a family, everyone become aware, you know, the, the kids may not understand it as a pattern of behavior, but they don't have to. The parents need to understand it as a pattern of behavior. And this all comes into, uh, the process of healing too it's very connected to the whole process of healing and the reason i say that is because we can look at healing and we've spoken about this before on many levels you know there's the physical sense and for me especially when i was in the emergency department uh, and now too but not as quickly i have to determine uh, whether somebody is coming in with a physical problem, a mental problem, or a spiritual problem. Is it about their body, their mind, or their spirit? And most of the time in the emergency department, it was about the body. You know, the body has a cut on it. The body has a bullet in it. The body has something broken. The body has pain. Some of the cells are hurting. Some of them are inflamed. Some of them are dying. 
So it's very body oriented. And so part, part of the work has to do uh, with and now again, as a medical guide in looking at people's bodies where they keep having things go wrong and they're not healing from the medicines that they're taking. Well, first you have to figure out on a scientific basis in Western medicine where what's going on, why is there something wrong? And usually most of the time we can figure that out on the cellular level and that's how we have to treat it. But, but then we see that people don't always, uh, they may heal from whatever recognized uh, diagnosis came out in the treatment, but then they may have a recurrence of something. And so after we've figured out the cellular level, sometimes it's important to go to the mind level and figure out uh, what's going on there. Why are these things recurring? And that's part of where patterns of behavior come in again, because we can't just look at uh, what, what did you do this time physiologically to hurt this or to cause this illness. But now what are you doing from a pattern and a mental point of view to cause this process to reoccur, even though it shouldn't have reoccurred once we treated it. And then it has to go to a spiritual level also. And, and again, there are patterns of behavior within a spiritual level. So as part of the process of a medical guide, when I'm working with people, as I said, the ones that are already healthy and want to achieve optimal health, uh, we can work on these in an easy manner. But the people that are sick or that are chronically ill that have a problem that they that the Western doctors just they can sort of appease, but they may not be able to totally control. You know, medications can do a lot of great things, but then you have to keep taking medications. And this this allows me as a medical guide to use my combinatorial medicine process where I look at Western medicine as the the backbone and central nervous system of healing. But sometimes Western medicine doesn't always cover everything. It's very good in trauma. It's very good in acute diseases. It's very good in diagnostics. It's very good in critical care. Not always so great uh, in chronic care. Not, not so great in death and dying. Although we're getting better in many of these things. But some of the other uh, healing systems on the planet seem to offer things from another point of view, both looking at a person differently and looking at potential for healing. So when I uh, decide when I'm working with someone where I start using my combinatorial medicine, it's because I believe that uh, people heal for a few different reasons. Uh, people heal, one, because the treatment is a healing treatment. If someone has a sore throat and it's a strep throat and it's a bacterial process and we have the right antibiotic, they will heal from that. That's a good thing. Sometimes people will heal because they have a belief in a system. Mm. May believe that pain medicine is so bad for you that it causes so many side effects that they have so many bad side effects they can't take it. And yet acupuncture, for example, may not have any of those side effects, and it may help them with their pain. We don't always know whether there's a, a good scientific physiological answer for that, or we just haven't found the tools yet to actually measure it. But if somebody does get better, and if somebody went to a dentist, and they're in such pain, and they go to an acupuncturist, and they're out of pain just because it's a belief system, then that works. And for me, in my process, I look at all of the different systems that are out there in the world, and I find out if anyone is healed from any of them. And if someone is healed from one, then I look into it. Because not necessarily is everyone going to be healed from that, but that's the same with Western medicine. Uh, not everyone will be healed from a cancer surgery. But if I find out that there is something uh, to it, then I will start researching it and I will even participate in it. I will go to acupuncturists. I will 
go to Ayurvedic doctors. I will go to shamans. I will, if I hear that Reiki, for example, is good for something, I will read about Reiki. I will study Reiki. I will meet with Reiki masters and I will experience Reiki. And once I get this in my armamentarium, then in my process as a medical guide in trying to figure out how I can combine medicines or use combinatorial medicine for people, I have to find out what their patterns of behavior are. And so this is another reason that's a, that, that is a very important aspect for me, mm. at why I look at patterns of behavior. It just sounds to me like it's not just the patterns of behavior, but it just leads into all the patterns, like the rhythms and everything of a someone's physical being and spiritual being. That's you. You've just combined it all, haven't you? Exactly, exactly. It's all it's all patterns. It it all seems to be patterns. You look at patterns in nature and mm-hmm. and start looking at these esoteric geometric uh, shapes. That have things in them. Why? Why does? A, why is there a certain shape in a shell, and maybe in a rainbow, and in a, and a plant? What similarities do they have? Mm-hmm. There's there's patterns in everything. So it's Both. quite amazing right now, um, Glenn. With right now, our weather patterns are shifting. Our environmental patterns are shifting so drastically. I was just in a conversation with a. Um, uh, uh, I, I don't know what you call them, a, a gardener, a nursery for specific plants. And they were telling me that, you know, amongst their many acres, because the weather shifted so drastically, it's almost like spring weather here in California. The birds are, um, the, they're laying their eggs right now because it's so warm. Everything is, uh, everything is funny. I was thinking this morning about, I think it's Newtonian physics. Newtonian physics. What, what can you explain, please? <laughs> Sir Isaac Newton. I think it was Newton, and I'd hate to uh, quote uh, something from the wrong person, but we can certainly Google it now. Uh, where you've heard this, a body at rest tends to stay at rest. A body in motion tends to stay in motion. This is inertia. Mm. You follow that? Yes. Okay. So now, if you have a pattern of behavior, oh, let me add one more part to that. A body at motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by another force. So in other words, if a car is driving 60 miles an hour going east, it will continue driving 60 miles an hour. But if a truck going 100 miles an hour is traveling in a different direction and hits it, that car will travel differently. <laughs> or not at all. <laughs> Same thing with the body at rest. If the body is at rest, it will tend to remain at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. So if somebody is sitting in their chair, hanging out, and is just being a, what is it, a couch potato, or is it a sofa mm-hmm. spud? I don't remember. <laughs> A sofa spud? I like that. (laughs) Other version of couch potato. But that person will stay on the couch until the other person comes up and says, hey, let's go, let's go, let's go out to the beach, or let's go for a walk, or let's do this or that. So they're being acted on by an outside force. Hmm. This is the same with patterns of behavior. A pattern of behavior will stay in its pattern unless acted upon by an outside force and change it. And so that's what we have to recognize. And sometimes we want to put that pattern of behavior at rest so that it doesn't act anymore, unless, again, it's acted on by an outside force, or we want to eliminate it. But that's how I'm combining combinatorial medicine, Newtonian physics, and spirituality, mind, and body. Mm. So, so I wonder what's going to happen with all this environmental shift to our patterns of behavior. Well, this is the key. Right now, you can consider the Earth has its had its patterns of behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Been acted upon potentially by an outside force, us, and changes are going to happen. 
So either the Earth is going to eliminate the outside force, or the outside force will potentially eliminate the Earth, or there'll be adjustments on both parts for survival purposes. It's an interesting metaphor and an analogy. Yes, I, I look at my plants and I look at my flowers and things are uh, budding at the wrong time of the year. And uh, it must be very difficult being a, a enologist or a, or a wine grower mm. right now. To, you know, concentrate and to have all of the patterns of knowing when the season of this uh, agricultural uh, product is and then having changes. It's it's very interesting and very difficult. We're going to see more patterns of behavior changing. And then we will either adapt or now we could talk about Darwin. We will not survive. Mm. Oh, then so much for uh, <laughs> patterns of behavior, right? That's the hundred hundred ton truck coming the other <laughs> direction. That's right. <gasps> we have to we have to figure all this out, and um, if we don't have any more on that, I wanted to talk about a few other things that, that I'm looking forward to in our future shows, since mm -hmm. it's an interesting one. So, if there's anything else you wanted to uh, think about with patterns of behavior. It's just, thank you for, for sharing with us what a huge part it takes in our health and in our balance. Because, um, uh, to hear you articulate it so simply, which, uh, it, it's not, it's not easy. You've gone through so many different, uh, variables of it. And, uh, hopefully our audience will, will be able to understand um, at your beautiful articulation about patterns of behavior and how it does affect us, that uh, people become a little more conscious and aware of, you know, the things that they do and the things that they choose to do, because I always say it's a choice, and uh, the decisions that they choose to make towards their optimal health. So, you know, thank you very much for that, Glenn. Yeah, I would, uh, I would challenge everyone, all of our viewers, listeners, etc., to... Just do an experiment. Do the experiment we were talking about today. Find a pattern of behavior that you do, a simple one that's not a big deal, that isn't life-threatening in any way, and see if you're capable of changing it. Mm -hmm. If you uh, use a fork in your left hand all the time, change it to your right. That may be a little more tough than changing which way you brush your teeth, up or down or left and right. <laughs> but become a Go through the process, become aware of a pattern, uh, make a choice to change the pattern, choose uh, an alternate pattern, implement that alternate pattern, and then over time, see how long you are either capable of keeping that new pattern or how quickly you went back to the old pattern. And even see if you're capable of doing the first part, becoming aware and remembering to do that tonight. That'll be a, a, a fun aspect. Yeah, I would, I would uh, challenge everyone to do that. And maybe somebody can call in or write in and say, hey, I did this. And uh, now I don't even look both ways when I go to a street corner. I just walk right across the street. Actually, we don't want that. To we don't want that, no. <laughs> see that? My, I want it to be funny for a moment. Maybe I need to change that. So we'll see if that happens in future shows. <laughs> change that pattern or not. No, we want to keep being funny. Yes, fun is fun. Fun is fun. We can educate through fun. And I'm glad you said that, education, because that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about in our last few moments of the show. Uh one of the things, you know, we have a number of purposes for this show. Uh, we want to show the magic of medicine. We want to really show that to people. And the first way we try to show that is the heart and soul of the healers that we have. Uh, and we've been doing that. We also want to give current information to people, which we're trying to do to uh, help them in their own choices for optimal health. A third thing what we, that we do 
kind of in the pillars. I, I look at the four pillars of Magical Medical Tour. The third pillar uh, for me is to show people what kind of careers are out there in the medical profession, in the healing profession, and how people can make different choices and be very creative within those fields. And the fourth, the fourth pillar for me is to uh, kind of have medical, magical medical tour as a 21st century guidebook so that people can uh, remember that, oh, there was an episode on plastic surgery. And I'm thinking of plastic surgery. Maybe I should go check on that and look at that one. Or there's one on infectious diseases or there's one on sleep. So I want to have uh, at the end of when we finish right now, this is our 38th episode. I'd love to have a number of episodes where it's it just compiles a lot of information as a guidebook for people in terms of achieving optimal health. And one of the things that I'm thinking about adding to the show, many different aspects uh, that we've already added, is every once in a while doing some teaching of maybe anatomy to people so that we can start learning a little more about our bodies and not fear of our bodies and fear of the unknown and just pick a part of a body. Today, we're going to look at an elbow joint or a knee joint, or we're going to look at the cardiovascular system or the skin, or here's what an eye looks like, and here's how an eye works. So I'm thinking about doing that uh, on some future shows. And now that we have some of the, we've upgraded to some of the technology, uh, I'll be able to show some charts and visuals and add some things to it that will help people in the learning process uh, to make it easier for them to learn. Does that sound good to you? Mm, that sounds really exciting. I think that'd be very, very helpful because uh, it's funny, you know, you learn a little bit. If you become, if you create, if you have an imbalance in that area of your body, that's when you learn about the anatomy, right? <laughs> for that moment. For that moment. And then you forget all about it until the next time. So I, I think this would be really great. Uh, it's going to be, uh, I think so too. Again, I, you know, we want to make this fun, but we also want to, at the end of the day, make this educational for people. Mm -hmm. uh, I said, if, if this could be educational and it could be something where people turn to it and know that, oh yes, I, my elbow's hurting. Maybe I can go, they did a show on the elbow. Maybe I could look at that and say, figure out a little bit about what's hurting and maybe I can take care of it at this level. Uh, before having to see a physician. But also, um, what in some of our earlier episodes, what we had talked about, Glenn, too, was to be prepared when you do go see the physician. Absolutely. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like then you, you, there's an understanding, uh, um, of what he's actually saying or, and the possibility of, of, as a patient, able to articulate to the doctor what it is that, that is, uh, what the imbalance might be. Yeah, it, it sets up uh, another whole relationship. If you walk into the doctor and say, I think I have a lateral epicondylitis. <laughs> uh, the doctor uh, takes on a different light with you. They might just say, uh, we're going to refer you somewhere else. <laughs> uh, that could be. That could be. Anyway, I think... Uh, I think I've said enough today. You've said about, enough today. You're done for the day, our medical guide. <laughs> ready to blast off into another portion of the galaxy uh, to uh, search for more optimal health. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Glenn Woolman, our medical guide, for enlightening us on exactly what it is you do, which is like a, a whole universe of, of wealth of information. I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us and your continuous support uh, with this whole new platform of education and information. We are grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing from how we can support you better. So, you know, do let us know if there are some topics that you would like us to cover. We're also excited to announce that uh, we now 
have access through iTunes. Um, and so when you go through iTunes, just look for YHTV or medical, uh, sorry, magical medical tour. And that will take you right to the whole series of, um, podcasts of this show. Again, we invite you every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time for this show, Magical Medical Tour, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every other week with our new show, Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. You can also be in contact with Dr. Glenn Woolman at myyogahub.com forward slash gwoolman and on Twitter at Glenn Woolman, and of course, through his own site, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath to keep you grounded through this very, very fast moving times that we're in. Until then, we will see you um, at our next live show, and we look forward to it. Namaste. Namaste.